You're listening to the Quality of Love Podcast. Your home for all things love, relationship, and mental health. Hosted by nationally certified life and relationship coach, Tyrone Dixon. Sit back, relax, and get tips on creating the life you deserve without wasting any more time. Welcome to the Quality of Love Podcast. I'm your host, Tyrone Dixon, nationally certified life and relationship coach, husband, father to two beautiful princesses, and CEO and founder of A Rose Through Concrete Consulting. Thank you guys for taking the time out to listen in with us tonight. We really appreciate it. You guys know what it is. It's Wednesday. That means we've reached another hump day. That means we've reached another question and answer episode. I can hardly believe it at this point in time. You guys have allowed me to answer your questions 38 times. So I want to say big shout out to you guys, to anyone who sent me some questions in. Uh, I've definitely appreciated you guys giving me the opportunity to be able to, to be able to provide some practical solutions for some of your problems, whether that's relationship issues or issues you guys have had with narcissists, right? We're going to keep this train rolling. This is something that um, we've received some really, really good feedback for in terms of the quality of love. So why not uh, keep it going, right? If it's not broke, don't fix it. And that's not our quote of the day. That's just me being really, really corny. All right. Without further ado, let's get into our quote of the day. Today's quote comes from the one and only Les Brown. Les Brown, if you guys don't know who he is, he's an extremely famous public speaker internationally by this point in time, I would imagine. Um, but certainly in the United States, states, he's kind of one of the, the godfathers of public speaking, and he's done it for quite some time. So he's someone that I look at, watch YouTube videos on, try to see if I can assess and get some pointer from him. But the quote that stood out to me most from him um, was one that I heard probably about six years ago now. And that quote reads, too many of us are not living our dreams because we are living our fears. Once again, that quote is, too many of us are not living our dreams because we are living our fears. And once again, that quote is by Les Brown. And for me, when I heard that quote originally, it was a very good incentive for me to step outside of my comfort zone, because what I realized is that quote is, is in fact true, right? A majority of people that live present day in our society tend to fear the, the pursuing of their goals, tend to fear stepping outside of their comfort zone. Now, there could be a, a multitude of things that people fear whether that's uh, being made fun of, having someone be frowned upon or frowned upon them, being ostracized by family members or friends, just a host of fears. And now you can even throw in COVID-19, just a host of fears that go into living our lives and living out our dreams. And for me, that gives me the incentive to go forward, regardless of how scared I am of a task or an opportunity at hand, continue to go forward and recognize that you you make mistakes, it happens, but you can always improve from a mistake. And living out your dreams is not wrong because there are not a lot of people in this world that we live in that do that, right? There are a lot of people that assimilate and they just go along with societal standards. For me, I don't think that that's something I would ever be comfortable with. So I'll go ahead and continue to push myself and pursue my dreams to, to my best abilities. And I would encourage you guys to do the same because most people aren't going to do that, right? They're going to assimilate and just go along with societal standards. 
Question number one from our relationship and mental health side of things. How do men rope women into abusive relationships? Once again, that question is, how do men rope women into abusive relationships? Typically, when you see someone that's in an abusive relationship and it's normalized, so to speak, right? So you might have a friend, family member, whatever it is. And it can be a man or a woman, um, by the way. I don't want to put this to a particular gender. But when you see people that are in abusive relationships and they stay in abusive relationships, although you've had conversations of the dangers and kind of the tendencies that goes along with abusive relationships, what you typically find is that the person that's a victim in the situation, right? So if you're a woman in the situation and you're taking abuse or, you know, a friend, family member, whatever, that's that's taking abuse. Typically, you can tie that back into their t- childhood and their inability to have healthy relationships and healthy attachments as children, right? So sometimes they grew up in an environment where their parents fought and argued a lot and they saw that as a way of connection. And subconsciously, they just put into their brain that a healthy way of connection is if a man yells at a woman or a woman is constantly nagging and yelling at a man. And what happens is if we don't correct some of these patterns that go into our brain and our thought process at a very early age, we tend to have those type of connections, although they may see seem, excuse me, unhealthy from the outside looking in. So the person that's in that abusive relationship, that's perfectly normal to them because it's something they've seen constantly growing up and they've been a part of growing up as well right they saw their mom and dad go through it or their guardians go through it then they started to connect with men who put them through it and after a while it just becomes second nature so to speak right to be abused to be talked down to all of that good stuff I would try to if you're able to um, if you're going through the abuse or if you know someone that's going through the abuse Try to bring their attention to it. Just like I just said to you, um, try to, to see where the connection was lost in the childhood. Did they grow up in an abusive setting? Did they get yelled at a lot? Were they the oldest child and had a lot of responsibility placed upon their lap? All of these things are very, very important to bring to your awareness or whoever's dealing with this awareness, because unless you go back to the root of the issue or the root of the problem, then it's going to be very, very difficult to break this type of pattern. And typically, unfortunately, these type of patterns become generational. So the other thing that you can um, put your hang your hat on, so to speak, is telling your friend, family member, or if it's you going through the abuse, telling yourself that this isn't something you want to, this isn't a, um, a trait of the family that you want to carry out through generations, right? You don't want your children thinking that it's okay to be abused and grow up in abusive settings. Question number two, my mom keeps making up rumors about me. What do I do? Once again, that question is, my mom keeps making up rumors about me. What do I do? First, I would bring it to your mom's attention, um, right? Sometimes parents inadvertently harm us, and I've I've been a victim of this also. Parents inadvertently harm us by the things they do or the things they say, and they're not really aware of it. So it becomes a subconscious thing. So the first thing I would invite you to do is have a conversation with your mom, just explaining to her the things that are embarrassing that she's saying about you and how they make you feel and how they reflect upon you. Hopefully mom is receptive to that conversation. If she genuinely, truly um, loves you and is attentive to your needs, then she will be. But if not, at the very least, you want to tell her to be mindful of who she's having conversations with, because 
this the rumors are coming back to you and they're false and you're going to start to address those false claims so that you're not portrayed as a bad person and please understand that this conversation is extremely difficult it's mom she views you as in a certain light she views you as her baby but it's also important that you establish yourself as an individual so that these type of things don't continue to go on right so that she does not feel comfortable spreading rumors about you to anyone question number three my ex unblocked me after two and a half months what steps can i take to rekindle once again that question is my ex unblocked me after two and a half months what steps can i take to rekindle the first thing I would do is try to make sure that whatever behavior it is that caused you to break up is not still in the way or not still hindering your relationship. So, for example, if you're someone who cheated in the past or um, you gambled, struggled with financial management, any of the, those things that turned her neurological pathway off to you, make sure you do not do any of those behaviors anymore or at least try to make sure they're they're in a minimized fashion. Because I can almost promise you, if you try to rekindle with her and you're still displaying a lot of the characteristics that made her go in a different direction or decide that the relationship wouldn't work for her, it's going to be the same result, right? Even if for temporarily she feels like, okay, let's give this a shot. The moment you start to display those behaviors again, she's just going to revert back and decide that it's not going to be best for her, right? So for lack of better words, get your ish together before you even try rekindling with her or it's just going to fall right on its face, right? So if you don't have everything in line that you need to have in line that caused the relationship friction, make sure you get that together. And then once you go to rekindle with her, you can have that conversation and say, hey, I know some of the characteristics that I displayed before were not healthy for this relationship. Here's what I've done to improve, right? And that'll try to, I should say, not try, that'll more than likely get that neurological, geez, neurological pathway firing for you again and allow you to rekindle that relationship. Question number four, how do you show your partner that you are serious about the relationship? Once again, that question is, how do you show your partner that you're serious about the relationship? I would invite you to number one, Go back and listen to love languages and apology languages from the quality of love season one. Those are really, really good tips. They actually come from a gentleman by the name of Dr. Gary Chapman. And they're really, really good tips for how to connect with your partner on their terms, right? So there is literally a scientific way to love someone in the manner in which they they feel loved, they feel valued, and they feel respected. There's also a way to apologize to someone in a manner in which they feel like your apology, excuse me, is sincere and you really, really want to improve upon whatever you did wrong to want to ask for their forgiveness. Right. So that's the first thing that I would invite you to do is go back and listen to those episodes from season one. The second thing that I would invite you to do is then get the books by Dr. Gary Chapman. The books go a little more in depth. Um, they also offer some exercises that you can use in order to connect with your partner on a deeper level. When you're talking about seriousness in a relationship, what you're really talking about is connecting on a deeper level. And your partner just needs to know that you want to connect on a deeper level. Easiest and simplest way to do that is to get on top of those love languages and apology languages that your partner enjoys to make them feel as if you want to have that deeper connection with them. 
Finally, question number five. How do I handle a cheating partner? Once again, that question is, how do I handle a cheating partner? I think number one, you want to hit the nail right on the head, right? So bring up the fact that you're aware that your partner is cheating and it's something that you're not okay with. The second thing I would invite you to do, again, shameless plug, there's a few um, episodes that I have here on the Quality of Love podcast, one entitled Surviving an Affair, and the other thing is to what you do or what response you have if you've been cheated on. I would invite you to go back and listen to both of those episodes. They're very, very rich in content. Um, I can't share everything that I shared there here, but I will say the first thing you want to do is take a step back, right? Realize that you don't want to have an emotional reaction and an emotional reaction can go either way, right? Either you're very, very upset with them and you're like, you know what? I'm done with you. I don't want anything to do with you. We're done. Or it can be like, okay, I love you so much. I'll I'll take you back over anything. You want to step outside of that element of yourself and really assess the situation for what it is, right? Is your partner actually sorry for cheating? Did they say sorry? Did they ask for your forgiveness? And then once they asked for your forgiveness, how did that make you feel? Right. If you're not in a spot emotionally to really, really be critical with your thought process in this situation, then I would get some space and distance between you and this person, because typically the cheater wants things to go back to normal as soon as possible. And that can put a lot of pressure on you as well as the relationship if you're still dealing with heavy emotions. Right. So number one thing to do is address it. Number two, step outside of the emotion. Number three, make a logical, critical thinking decision for yourself that does not involve the partner in any way, shape or form. So how do you feel? What do you want? And then tell them about that. Okay, let's touch on some insight from a former narcissist. Question number one, what do people mean by a narcissist? So many different things seem to be included. I think for me, the number one definition of a narcissist or an individual who may have narcissistic personality disorder is a self-centeredness, right? Having not having the ability to see outside of themselves or to have empathy or compassion outside of themselves. And then the other piece is the isolation of an individual, right? So trying to cut people off from their resources, from their family, things of that nature. Those are the qualities of a narcissist to me. Again, I've said this in the past with narcissists and narcissism being a popular term, you'll hear it a lot applied to a lot of different things that I don't think it's necessarily supposed to be applied to, but that's my definition of it. So when you go forward, as you think of a narcissist, think of an individual who tries to isolate an individual or person they're in a relationship with from their source resources, from their friend, family, social support network. And um, also is very, very self-centered, right? Unempathetic, unpassionate, and not really caring about how their partner feels. Question number two, how do I tell if my husband is a narcissist? Once again, that question is, how do I tell if my husband is a narcissist? I think the number one way to tell if your husband is a narcissist at this point in time, I'm assuming that you've been in a relationship for, for some time with him, is to Look at if he's trying to isolate you from your family, right? Or take you away from friends. And does he get upset with you when you try to have your own me time or girl time? Things like that. 
Those are clear indicators. Another thing to to look at when it comes to deep relationships and lasting relationships is, is this gentleman able to be empathetic to your needs, right? So when you express your needs to him, is he like, okay, I'm going to work on the things that you want me to work on? Or does he pass it off and play the victim and, and become a person that it's now your responsibility to take care of his needs, but he doesn't have to take care of yours. If those are some things that he's displayed or currently displays, then there's a pretty good chance that he is at least along the lines of a narcissist. I would say at this point in time, if you could say those things, he's definitely a full blown narcissist. Question number three, do narcissists fear being seen crying? Once again, that question is, do narcissists fear being seen crying? I don't think so. Um, when it comes to narcissists, you got to be open and understanding that they're willing to do whatever it takes in order to get you on their side and get you thinking that they're the victim in the situation and you're crazy and they're going to take you away from the things that you keep sanity with, like the thing that helps you keep logic, like, the again, the family, friends, going out, doing things that make you happy. Right, it'll become all about them, and it'll become all about their world. And I've seen plenty of times in which a narcissist had to pull out all the stops, and one of the stops at that point in time was crying. Right, so don't uh, don't assume that a narcissist might not want you to see them crying, or seeing them crying might be a vulnerability. A narcissist will certainly use that to their strength. Even so much so that I remember one gentleman that I was working with in the past, he used the crying to, um, and then his wife at the time wasn't empathetic to it, and he used that as a as something to hang over her head and say she was mean and she didn't really care for him because she didn't express empathy because he was crying and she knew it was a gimmick. So be careful with those narcissists. They, they'll pull out all the stops if they have to. Question number four. Why did my narcissist ex never talk about his ex? <clears throat> Excuse me once again. That question is, why did my narcissist ex never talk about his ex? I would say the number one reason a narcissist individual would not talk about their ex lover in any way, shape or form is because they foiled their narcissistic plans and they figured out who they were. Right. And once they figured out who they were, the the secret to being a narcissist is being able to keep it a secret. Right. So they are probably trying to keep as much distance between them and that person and you essentially so that you don't find out who they are or what they're what they've done in the past and some of their common narcissistic tendencies. Question number five. The smear campaign has been over for, oh, excuse me. The smear campaign has been going on for over a year. The, the covert narcissist has reached my childhood, reached out to my childhood friend, and she is threatening to expose me. What, if anything, can I do? That question again. The smear campaign has been going on for over a year. The covert narcissist has reached my childhood friend. She is threatening to expose me. What, if anything, can I do? The first thing I would do is have a conversation with her. You said it was your childhood friend. So this is somebody that I'm assuming knows you a little bit and really, really put put the questions and things that the narcissist is saying about you to test. Right. Ask them like you've known me for since we were kids. Have I ever displayed this behavior? Have I done these things? And really, if that person is your friend and knows you well enough, they'll believe you um, and understand that they're being fooled and, and kind of going along with the charm of what a narcissist does. 
The second thing I would invite you to do if she does not, is not empathetic to that, I would say, is expose any secrets that you think may be embarrassing or may kind of make you want to feel shame or anything like that. Expose them yourself because then that way that they don't have the power over you to be able to hang that over your head. Because I really think when it comes to long-term mental health, it's important that you have control and you remain in control of your life and you don't give that power up to anybody. So remain in control. Worst case scenario, if, if you can't get through to your former friend by talking, then I invite you to expose whatever it is that you think is embarrassing to the world before they do. And then they have no power or leg to stand on. Question number six. Why would my narcissistic ex still have a posted picture of us on Facebook? We no longer talk or we're no longer friends on Facebook. Once again, why would my narcissistic ex have a picture posted of us on Facebook when we are no longer friends or we no longer talk? I think that is the classic bait throw out there kind of thing. I like to use the analogy of um, a worm on the hook, throwing it out to the fish, the fish it's swimming along and it may or may not bite on the hook, right? You are at this point in time, for lack of better terms, you're the fish. And that's a way a narcissist throws out that bait to you to see what your response and your reaction is. Um, in some cases, women might go back and have a conversation with them and want to talk about something like that. In other cases, you might see the the truth come out, right? Them, them understanding and knowing that the relationship is over and there's nothing they can do. Either way, for you, from your perspective, don't let it affect you in your day-to-day and understand the more distance you can continue to create between you and this narcissistic individual, the better. And finally, question number seven. How do you cope with all of your friends being on the side of the narcissist? Once again, that question is, how do you cope with all of your friends being on the side of a narcissist? I would say the first thing that you will want to do, excuse me, is really, again, like I said in the last question, put your friends to the test, right? Ask them, do you really display these behaviors? Have they ever seen you display the behaviors before? And when they are truthful with themselves, they should not um, have seen this, right? This isn't typical of you, what the narcissist is saying. Also, don't be afraid to put them on to what narcissists typically do. And what narcissists do in most relationships is they put on that charm and they want to present themselves as very, very well and put together when it comes to the public masses tell them exactly what's going on with that person so they know the real deal right and i know that sounds extremely stressful but i invite you to do it because the narcissistic individual feeds off of secrecy so the more you throw his stuff out there and you really ask your friends to question what's going on with themselves then the more i think you'll you'll expose what's really going on and ultimately, if they're your friends, they'll they'll understand and they'll they'll know that you're dealing with a crazy person at this point in time. All right. So that's all we have for you guys tonight. Don't forget that we're only doing Wednesday episodes, our big Wednesday question and answer ep- Wednesday question and answer episodes, excuse me, as well as a few interviews here and there for the next couple months. We got a lot of really, really great things going on with the quality of love, as well as my other some other business ventures, I should say. I'm uh, extremely excited to announce those when they when they all are finalized, of course. And uh, yeah, we've got a lot of great things going on. So stay tuned. 
please stay sharing uh continue to download continue to review any feedback again is more than welcome so that's all we have for you guys tonight and remember the quality of love and relationships that you have in your life will determine the quality of your life peace and love